Keep your eye on the ball as a business owner. Cash flow is king. You can sink or swim based on how you focus on that very thing. Join us for a conversation today with a financial expert to talk about just that and the future of finance. My name is Chris Joslin, and this is Jaws Bites. Well, welcome again to another edition of Jaws Bites. I am Chris Johnson, your host. As always, we are sponsored by iLevelLogistics.com. That's www.iLevelLogistics.com, hopefully coming across your screen at this very moment. And we have a wonderful guest today. His name is Scott Walton. He's president and CEO of Westmark Capital. I've known him for quite some time. He's he's a an expert in financial lending area for not just the transportation logistics industry, but many different industries, commercial real estate, et cetera, um, health finance. And we'll talk a little bit about those things, but we'll also talk specifically, as I said in my preamble, a real focus and attention on cash flow for small and medium-sized business owners. Now, large ones as well, but this is this is our focus for today. It is, it's a real important subject and one that deserves much longer podcasts, much longer video than this, and we'll probably do that at another time. For t- but for today, I, I want to again introduce uh, a very um, astute financial person and one that can, can dive into and create uh, some understanding that may be missing from your portfolio of, of understanding right now. So uh, help us welcome Mr. Scott Walton. But really, Scott, welcome aboard to this edition of Jaws Bites. It is my pleasure to have you here to to speak from really another point of view on how uh, businesses, small and large, but focused mostly on small and media cap businesses, Mm -hmm. look at themselves, their financing, or need to look at themselves and focus in on that more. Scott, welcome aboard. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. And uh, you're a good friend client, ex-client, and uh, look at you as a really good friend and confidant, so I appreciate you having me. Yeah, fantastic. But but let's just start out this way if we can. Um, you know, I, I love to bring in different aspects of the transportation logistics supply chain world, and I know that you, from a financial standpoint, are into all kinds and see kind of the outsider's perspective of a lot of different types of businesses, transportation just being a single one of them. But yeah. how did you get into the financial world? Is there a, is there a story behind the story that, that oh, brought yeah. you to Westmark? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I I'm, uh, spent four years in the Navy, um, went to college for a couple of years. You know, I, I was having too much fun. You know, my, as my dad said, life's not all fun. And I, I really was, <clears throat> you know, done with school in my mind. I, after high school, I just wanted, really wanted to have fun. He goes, you know, if you want to have so much fun, why don't you join the military as a joke? And, you know, his family, my, all my grandparents, they'd all served. So I'm like, why don't I carry on the family tradition? And I went in the Navy office and took the ASVAB and, and, uh, next thing you know, I'm getting shipped off in the Navy and it was a great experience for me. You know, they end up, giving me college funds to, you know, go to school. And I went to school in the Navy, uh, you know, while on board the ship and which they had a new, new program there. And, uh, it was a ship called a ship fair program where basically they brought college professors on and let us go to school. And, uh, I, I did a couple of years of college on board the ship, got out and came home and I started repoing cars. I'm a small guy, Chris. You and I've met in California. Repo cars to to financial. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. So I started repoing cars. I started repoing for a company called Commercial Credit uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. And um, met a gentleman. I repoed a car, pulled it out front. It was cleaned. It it had all. I had the keys. The manager, his name is Gary. His name is Gary Dennington. He came out and started asking me questions. He asked the the girl that worked for him who. Who, re- who brought this car in? And she pointed to me and he said, you're the repo guy. And he looked at me up and down. He goes, he goes, you're a little small for, to be a repo guy. And I said, yeah, 
He goes, so how did you get the car cleaned out and how did you get the keys? And I told him, I just asked, I had pulled the car up on, on the tow, tow rig and knocked on the door when it was up on the tow rig and just told him, Hey, you know, it had a baby car seat. And just as a human being, I said, Hey, if you can't afford this car payment, you're not going to be able to afford to get a new baby seat. Why don't you take your stuff out? So it doesn't get stolen. And I told them their law, told them the lots. They've got 21 days legally by the state of Texas to get a payment arrangement done with the lender and mm-hmm. they could get it worked out. And I explained that all to them, handed my phone number to them. And they were so thankful that I did that. And they handed the keys over and they took their baby seat and all their belongings out of the car. And Gary saw that. And he's number one, it saved him 150 bucks for to cut a key. So he got his keys. The right. borrower actually made a payment arrangement, so they got all their interest back. So Gary asked me if I'd wanted a job, asked me if I've ever sold before. And I told him, no, I've never sold. And he said, well, you're actually selling by doing what you're doing, by getting these keys and the way you're doing your job. So he offered me a job on the spot. I told him no. Uh, a couple months later, a couple cars later, worked on me, finally threw me a number that I couldn't really resist. I was still broke repoing cars, you know, as a right, kid. Right. And uh, anyway, gave me the job. And that's how I got into finance. Wow. That, you know, it's really interesting to me that that, that story, it kind of, you know, I don't think a lot of times when, especially young people getting into markets today, mm-hmm. and, and there was a previous podcast that I, I did a while back and I talked to, uh, with a gentleman I know that's in the recruiting business mm-hmm. and how that there's kind of a resurgence into the logistics supply chain world in that there's a kind of refreshing of some older employment moving into that from other industries, but also there's this new generation coming up. And a lot of times people don't even realize they're selling when they're selling, you know, that, that, they, that they're already uh, kind of doing the things that engender, you know, clients and prospects yep. to come aboard. Absolutely. That's, that's a really good story. That is yeah, excellent. And- and, you know, uh, that's a good point that you you just brought up. People don't people who have never been in a sales position. If you say sales to them, they my, my wife breaks out in high. She exactly. broke out highs with our healthcare business and she freaked out just the word of her going to sell. But if you put it in a different way, I mean, people sell every day uh, that they like you said, they don't even realize they're doing it. But, right. you know. Uh, there are certain people that are good at it and certain people that, that need to do other things, you know, counting. or. Yeah. I, I know some very naturally gregarious people that every time I talk to them, I'm just kind of amazed because they just, everybody likes them. It's, yeah, you know, it's, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm more of, I'm more of a person that looks at it and approaches things and says, I, I want to try to solve a problem, a uh-huh. challenge for somebody. Yeah. And that may be a slightly different kind of sales, maybe the the kind that doesn't uh, have people break out in hives so much, you know. But at the end of the day, if you can bring something to the table that solves another person's problem, Mm -hmm. then you're you're selling. Absolutely. I I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed in in my industry and the the logistics supply chain transportation industry is so broad that we could talk Mm -hmm. on a million different subjects. But I'm going to try to gear us and focus in more on a small to mid cap business size okay there's there's there in because there's so many people out there mm-hmm. that are entrepreneurial or they belong to a small company and they really don't have a feel for cash flow they they know they know how to dispatch they know how to to get trucks out on the road and they know how to 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 set up kind of dynamics for shippers or receivers etc yeah. like that but when it comes to are the dollars coming in faster than the dollars going out or is the appropriate yeah. margins there? They don't even think about that. Absolutely. So what is your perspective on something like that? You know, uh, that that's a very good question. And so many people in business, you know, some people don't didn't even mean to be in their business. Something happens. A relative passes away. They assume the business. They buy a business that's in that's in trouble. Uh, there's so many different factors that go into running the business and cash flow as you and i know being business owners is the lifeblood of a business and if you are not on top of your cash flow you're not going to be in business very long um you know 
looking at your numbers, getting to know your numbers is the most important thing. And having your books together. Uh, had, and so many entrepreneurs have the head in the sand approach because it's something they don't want to do. Um, the, the most inexpensive thing to do is hire a freaking $15 an hour bookkeeper. Um, or you can go on Upwork and get someone out of the Philippines that's dirt cheap uh, to do your books. And you can tell them where you want the different things. Get with your CPA and decide on the best strategy. Now, CPAs are a different thing. Now, he, you have to find some CPAs are really good at what they do or in a certain aspect when it comes to the government reporting but not always the best thing for you as the business owner, because some of them are really conservative. So it's wise to find someone that's not necessarily a CPA, but maybe a tax planner, um, then have your CPA file the taxes. Uh, so you're able to get all your write-offs, <clears throat> all your write-offs, right. all the interest that you're paying on loans, um, depreciation on the equipment, all that stuff. But, you know, what I see the from being a lender, I see people not having their books together is one of the first things that problems they run into because they don't know where they are. And, right. and if you don't know where you are in your business, you don't know what you're making. If you, you don't no know where you are, you don't know where you can even possibly go. Right. Exactly. It's, you exactly. know, it's interesting because you're you're pointing out something about balance from my perspective. You know, you, you look at this. So, so the, your comments about CPA versus a, a financial slash tax planner, mm -hmm. they're, they're really two different animals, right? The CPA is looking from the perspective of complete total cocoon of safety, yeah. and which is very intelligent because yep. the last thing you want in the world is the IRS to come knocking on your door Absolutely. and you don't have your I's dotted and T's crossed, right? Absolutely. But at the other side, if you're an entrepreneur, you know there's a, a, a certain amount of risk that you're taking and you have to gauge your own internal uh, mm -hmm. amount of uh, ability to, to take on risk levels. Yep. But a tax planner will look from your side and say, okay, yes, the IRS is not going to look at this, but you're missing out on this or that yep. or the other. Yeah. So it's real important. And from a, a financial standpoint, from a lender standpoint, and I know you have all kinds of, of different mechanisms that you use <clears> for, <throat> for different sizes of business and their yep. credit worthiness and all that kind of thing. But from from your perspective, I would imagine that it's you want to see the safety going on. You mm -hmm. want to see the proper documentation, everything else. But you also, I would imagine, want to know that these are the kind of people that are trying to grow. Right. Yes. Because that's why they're coming to you. usually. Yes. The person. Well, two, yeah. two reasons. They're either trying to grow or trying to survive. Right? Yes. <laughs> so one mm -hmm. or the other. Yeah. So that's a that's very good. But I, I think for those that are listening out there. If you don't take anything else out of this conversation today, you know, take out of it that you've got to pay attention to your cash flow. You do. Because if you have more money going out than coming in, or if you have too much money going out too quickly and not mm -hmm. enough money coming in, yeah. then you either need one of two things. You either need to recalibrate how you're budgeting everything. Yeah. And or you need to have some kind of financial buffer zone i.e. a loan of some kinds, which we're going to talk about in a minute, yeah. to facilitate the cash flow that you need yeah. for a business. Mm -hmm. Don't ignore your customer. You've got to operate mm -hmm. properly. So you got to have your sales in order, of course. You've got yeah. to have your pipe, well, pipe, yeah. pipeline, <clears throat> but you better well have cash flow being looked at really very closely. Absolutely. So when you're, when you're talking about this, though, if you're if you're a small business that's trying to get over some kind of horrible hurdle that you've had to go through a time period like we've had in the last year with yeah. pandemics, things like that, or if you're ready to grow, mm -hmm. what are kind of some of the financial mechanisms that, that you point out? I know it's different all across the board. It's probably a conversation for hours and hours, mm -hmm. but from a high level standpoint, let, let's take it two ways. If you have somebody trying to get through the kind of dynamics we went in the last year. Mm -hmm. is one one type in somebody that's trying to say, okay, now it's time to, to take the next step in growth. Are there certain lanes that you look at financially for those people? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it depends on the business, you know, what mm -hmm. they have, of course, in assets, what they have in terms of cash flow. Um, 
you know, if a, a business is looking to grow, let's just say they have an opportunity to buy out a competitor. That competitor could bring them an extra two, three million plus a year in, in net revenue. You're going to be willing to take a bit riskier of a, of a financial transaction. And you need to just say you didn't have the cash to buy it. You're going to have to take out some form of a loan. But there's a time that you have a time frame. Say there was a death in the family. They need to clear out the other family members uh, to get through probate, what have you. And you need to get some a million dollars over to this family quick. There's a few different mechanisms you can do in the private market. You can do what's called an asset based loan. Uh, that's an ABL loan or line of credit. If you've got good credit, you've got good assets, uh, you could do what's called an ABL line of credit. That can take, you know, 30 days to close. Uh, generally, you know, if you have all your ducks in line, you have your books done, all that. Then there are some higher interest uh, type deals you can go get. Merchant Cash Advance depends on what you're what you're doing every month. If you're doing a million dollars a month, you can generally go and borrow up to a million dollars on a merchant cash advance. But Scott, the, the merchant cash advance versus an ABL kind of thing is mm -hmm. there, you know, one is a secured versus, well, could be non-secured, at least in mm -hmm. part, but it's also kind of the rapidity of, of how you pay it back, right? Yes. The merchant yep. cash advances, I've seen things out there we pay nearly daily. Yes, stuff, yes, right? da daily, weekly. Uh, they do daily and weekly, generally on the MCA mm -hmm. or merchant cash advances. Those are notoriously much higher interest. I don't recommend them for everyday working capital, but if you're using that money to go grow your business uh, once you. or twice a year, you need to use them. That's fine. Don't get more than one. Get one only. Um, but if you're you use those for when you've got it, you need a big chunk of money at one time. You're going to use it once that year or even once in your lifetime. You can take it out. Yes, you're going to pay fairly high interest. But if you're using that money, that's going to bring you a lot of money down the road, as in buying a business or buying uh, mm -hmm. buying extra piece of equipment. You've been turned down right. by the banks. No, no one's loaning you money. And that is your only way to do it. It can close within a few days and you can get that cash. Go do what you need to. Now, I don't recommend that for everyday use. Again, it's got to be a special circumstance. Uh, yeah. Ideally, you'd want to do an ABL line of credit if you could, because that now that would be entangling and wrapping up all your receivables, uh, your equipment and everything to the bank under what's called a UCC one. A UCC one mm -hmm. is uni universal com commercial code uh, that is basically a lien, an all purpose blanket lien on your business that encompasses pretty much everything. The SBA does this as well. Uh, they do blanket liens as well. So once you do a loan like that, either through the SBA or through a bank, doing uh, an ABL type line of credit, you're pretty much locked up. You can't do any other type of financing but an MCA. That would be the only gotcha. time. That's why a lot of people do them is because that's their only option. Um, I the best way does, to get does the, would be does to Scott, does the, does the UCI or UCCI or UCCI? Um, does, does that also, when, when you're talking about these loans, and, and I know that when people have LLCs and S-Corps and things like that, there's a kind of a layer of assumed protection between yourself and yeah. your independent self, right? Your company and your independent self. Or fail. Uh, but, but what I've noticed, at least, is when I, when I read over some literature on this, is that it's almost a must to have a guarantee. A personal guarantee amongst these type of things, unless you have a ton, a ton of assets that are leveraged. Yeah, exactly. You're right, Chris. Yeah, almost all banks and and credit companies now do require a personal guarantee. Now there are certain times, like you just said, uh, it, especially with banks, they almost always want a PG or personal guarantee, um, unless the LTV on the loan is below fifty percent. LTV being loan to value. Uh, if there's loan to value of the loan, say if the value of the assets is is 200 grand and the loan is 100,000, that's a 50% loan to value. So generally, if it's under 50%, uh, 
most banks won't require a personal guarantee. That's, again, most banks. Now, on certain MCAs and ABL lines of credit, you can get uh, a non-recourse loan, which is right. a non-personal guarantee. You can get those, definitely. Uh, but again, you're going to pay a higher rate. You know, it's interesting to me because the 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 lending institutions, there's tons of them, obviously. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of it seems like right now there's a lot of money being lent out there in different ways, shapes, or forms, but the risk tolerance for the institutions is much less than it used to be. Yeah. Incredibly less. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there was a time just before 2008, <laughs> as you can imagine yeah. that I, that, that a company I was involved with, not, not mine, but someone else's, it was, it was a golf course handshake bank to person, $3 million credit line. Yeah, I mean that—that's really mm-hmm. what it was, and I can't even imagine thinking about something like that today. I know. Yeah. So I—I I, I yeah. think the message, at least that I'm gathering from this, is there's a lot of different mechanisms, but you have to be willing to risk. Yes. And substantially, really, personally. Absolutely. So, yep. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. if you so, don't pay, yeah, they're going to come after you and your personal assets as well. So. If the, so when you're signing a personal guarantee, you do need to be cognizant of what you're getting into and what your risks are. So, you know, everybody in the last year and a half has been focused on all the the bailout. Well, lack of a better way to put it, the bailouts, the government intervention, mm-hmm. the supply of money flow from our taxes into the SBA and then back out to businesses of different sizes. Yeah. You know, and I know that they're very diverse. I mean, I've I've seen I've seen some documentation about, you know, how many loans that go out there in billions of dollars and what types of are they loans? Are they micros? Are they mm-hmm. grants? All that kind of thing is all coming from the SBA. And it seems to be there's this funnel and additional focus on that. It, it must be growing the infrastructure of that. That oh, yeah. place must be growing like crazy. Oh, it which is. just means yeah. complexity. Right. Yes. Um, but it, it seems like everybody's going after some kind of SBA thing, yeah. whether it's the PPPs or something mm-hmm. additional. Yeah. Do you have a perspective on that? Because you're I don't know if you do SBA stuff, too, but Not I any. thought you were primarily private. We, we are private. We are private. We used to do SBA loans. Um, mm-hmm. We primarily get most of our business from banks. So at some point, we kind of realized we were stepping on banks' toes, some of our referral sources' toes by being in that line. And we weren't really doing a lot of it anymore. Um, you know, we did a lot of it back when we did a lot of real estate. We did a lot of 7A and did a lot of hotels. I had an Indian guy that was my partner, and we did a lot of hotels back in the day. And and now that we're not really doing that, uh, we stepped out of the SBA market completely gotcha. to let all of our referral sources, we can now pass that on to our referral sources and they pass us the deals we want because I really don't care to deal with the, the government bureaucracy. We're, That's what I was thinking. If we're a private lender, we like to be nimble and fast. And mm-hmm. that is not the definition of the federal government is nimble and fast. Yeah. You know, it's funny to me because I, I look at this and as we're developing this conversation around cash flow and everything, mm-hmm. I can see this divergence occurring, right? Like, you know, if, if people have the right assets or the right background or the right relationship with a local bank that they've been doing business with forever and that will grant them some flexibility, then I would imagine that's the first line of defense for people, whether yeah. it's personally or business. Mm-hmm. But but when you get beyond that 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 layer, it seems like it's either you go long, very complicated, SBA-ish kind of 10-year, mm-hmm. you know, pay-by-the-month stuff, or you go, I need something fast and now, which is direct lending, variability on, on the leverage side of it, the secured side of it, mm-hmm. fast turnaround and quick pay, high yep. interest, which yep. goes back to what we talked about with cash flow. Like, you have to, you say, you have to say, okay, my transaction average you know, percentage of profitability is X. And mm-hmm. if this capital is going to cost me Y, then I better add it here now. Exactly. You know, really exactly. do that. Exactly. And that was my point on buying another business. That's when I really say those things are good because you are bringing in another revenue on top of that that would easily service that debt. 
and then of course you can write you know depending on who you hire for your taxes you can write off that uh whatever you pay towards those those financing charges um and if in a lot of we deal with a lot of contractors and what they do with those types of deals is uh, i had a roofing company he was buying out another roofing company and that other roofing company was doing three million a year so he took out a half a million dollar loan mca to to buy that bringing that new company on easily serviced that debt alone so it didn't right. even come out of his pocket it came out of new coast pocket so right. it really worked like a charm and he paid it off early within like 90 days and got an early prepaid discount so it works out great in certain times like that but if you're just chugging along and you're barely making payroll as it is you throw one of those loans on top you're going to get in trouble and now that's now there's other ways you can do it especially in transportation is factoring that's much lower cost uh, much smarter way to do things in my opinion um and you do have to shop on those because in transportation mm -hmm. you guys know uh there's all over the factoring. place they're everywhere um and you do have to shop those really well to try to to get your margins as 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 high as, as your margins can go and you also need to ne negotiate with with people you do business with on possibly trying to pay you a little earlier so you don't have to take those loans out if you can right. by giving some sort of a discount you know um you need to watch that too again your cash flow you need to make sure you're doing it smart um but there's a lot of people willing to do it you just have yeah. to ask um yeah you know the and, thing is the factoring mm -hmm. thing has always been real interesting to me. I haven't haven't used it, but um, it, it seems to me, again, if you build in the right numbers into mm -hmm. your evaluation of your client mm -hmm. uh, profiles, you can come up with a way to make that really work because you can get paid very, very quickly. Yes. But you got to find the right one because there's recourse, non-recourse. Yes. There's, there's people that will charge more initially and then pay mm -hmm. back more later. Yeah. There's reserves. There's all kinds of complexities there. And, yeah. and this this podcast is not for everybody out there. It's not to get you overwhelmed by this. It's to draw your attention to the thing that is the lifeblood. Right. We I've talked in the past about the vital signs of companies and the important, you know, four or five items to focus in on as a business owner in particular, or even even a, a person working for a business that, that wants to have a career there kind of has to know where their company is heading, what they're looking at and doing. And in the, it's, it's like blood flow, right? If, if, mm -hmm. if, if you don't have capital flowing properly through your system, it's going to die exactly. or it's going to die slowly, you know? Exactly. And, and uh, I think you're right on the money in right on the money, no pun intended, <laughs> but, but, uh, but that's the kind of thing you need to look at. And mm -hmm. you can, you, if you have an opportunity that's going to pass you by and a door is going to close, then evaluate the risk and go out there and get a, a merchant capital kind of kind of situation going. Mm -hmm. And it can really put you into another category. But if yeah. it's operational, if it's chugging along in survival, then probably not look that exactly. way. Look for some other mechanism. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And 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 also be careful too. There you've got to look at at there's some companies out there that want to take equity too and you need to be careful of that because you can't write off equity as interest you're once you give that equity away it's gone i mean and and you're going to cry every month when you're writing those those royalty checks to whoever that investor was and you're definitely going to cry when you sell the business and have to write that right. big check uh and that's the vc world right is what you're talking that's about more vc yes more venture, venture capital okay. which I don't do anything in, um, but we we do have, see people do it on occasion, um, you know, and that's where I would probably say, hey, versus giving away your company equity, you would more likely, if you can, do an MC merchant cash advance because, you know, you're not giving away equity. Um, see, it's interesting, Scott, because the VC side, the venture capital side is what you, you know, you watch on TV and you hear about and this and that is kind of the sexy yeah. And we're going to be, we're going to blow up. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I suppose if you have kind of a business model that is more, it's, it's grounded in the possible yeah. and it's not, it's not, uh, um, really culminated into something yet. Yeah. And you get that VC capital and it brings you to the next level and you're willing to slice off a piece of the pie. Great. 
But for the most part, for most entrepreneurs, for most businesses trying to either climb out of a hole or get to the next level, what you're talking about is much more viable. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and that VC money is a lot more reserved in the tech world. You see a lot, you know, in the the a lot of VC in tech. And, you know, most of our businesses don't that we deal with aren't into that space. We do some tech stuff, but very little. Mm-hmm. Most of our 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 guys like you and I, guys that started our businesses from the ground up and have our blood, sweat, tears, and our whole yeah. everything into the business. And and, you, you know, it's our baby. You know, it, it, our businesses are our baby. And you need to really look at it as a living, breathing baby because you have to take care of that baby. Make sure it's got blood flow, cash flow. Right. You know, you have to look at it uh, diagnostically and really go through. And that's why I said at the very beginning of this is know your numbers. I know when you're out there in business and the last thing you want to think of when you get home is open the books up, open that Excel. You just makes your stomach turn. You don't want to think about it. You don't want to do it because you know, you know, in the, in your heart where you are, uh, you know, you yeah. know that it's probably not going to be something you want to see, but it, it's something you need to know good, bad, or ugly. It doesn't matter. You need if you to turn a blind eye to it. It's going to catch up to you eventually. It, it absolutely will. Away. Yeah, it absolutely you know, it's interesting you, you mentioned, you know, tech, though, because there's it's it's not brand new phenomenon, but it's it's gaining an awful lot of traction in the transportation, logistics, supply chain industry really? is really the advances being made in blockchain technology. Everybody yes. looks at that and kind of kind of defines it as that's that crypto stuff, which is kind of cool if you really want to get into white papers and look at things like oh, yeah. that. But. But from a from a real pragmatic standpoint, and maybe you you can uh, touch on this just briefly, but from a real pragmatic standpoint, it seems to me that having a legitimate, uh, I like to call it chain of custody. Yeah. On especially when you're talking about smart contracts and things mm-hmm. like that, it, it seems to me that that applies a lot to the financial world and the viability, not just for large companies that are thinking about this in real holistic matter, but for smaller companies that deal with those companies. Because mm-hmm. like my company, I'm, I'm a small company, but I deal with a lot of large companies. Mm-hmm. And the credit worthiness I have when I come to someone like you is oftentimes based on my relationship with those other ones. And if I can yeah. show you a blockchain smart contract, it gives you more credibility to look at me. Absolutely. That's kind of the way I look at it. Yes. What are your your thoughts on it? You know, Chris, you know, I've talked about, you know, personally about, you know, blockchain. Uh, You know, it's kind of a hobby for me. I went and did a course at MIT on it and was blown away at, you know, I thought I knew it until I went and did that course. And and there's so many applications, like you said, people and actually people, an online course, Scott, that you it, well, it was in person. But I chose to take it online because I have a business to run. But yes, sure. The other students, half the students went there to Massachusetts and did the actual course. I did it online just because I have a business and family. Mm-hmm. But uh, the younger folks definitely took, you know, yeah. they wanted to go to Massachusetts and go to MIT and see the school and meet the instructors. Um, but it, it really was, it was a blockchain applied business uh, economics type course. And, you know, learning about how the blockchain does things and can fit into business, especially in the DeFi, they call it the DeFi, D-E-F-I world. That is the new, that is, I, I think, is the future of finance. DeFi, if I remember correctly, is... Decentralized Some finance. Decentralized finance, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Please sorry. continue in a second. But the, the decentralized finance, for those that are thinking about this and think blockchain is something that's not going to touch their reality, centralized finance is around the banking systems that are in existence today. Yep. Fiat currency, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Decentralized finance, completely different means it's it's a collective agreement on what value goes to what item or contract yep. or whatever yep. we're talking about, correct? Yep. Whatever you yep. assign that contract to to stand for. 
um, whether it's uh, goods, service, what have you, you can do a smart contract for whatever you're wanting to do, whatever your business application is. Um, and I do believe that those are that is the wave of the future. You know, people hear blockchain and they think of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not the blockchain. Now, blockchain is what powers the digital currencies. Uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ethereum technically is what most of the smart contracts are being written off of right now, um, which is a digital currency, Ethereum. So you have ERC-20 contracts that are generally the smart contracts you and I are talking about right now. Mm -hmm. um, and those will play. You might not even know uh, it's involved, but there are so many financial instruments right now coming to light that are going to be soon implemented into our finance right. businesses. It, it's being done right now. And uh, so, so when you, when, when you think about that though, and maybe I'm off base on this, but when I think about these new advances in technology, I always think about how, and this has always happened throughout history. You've got to, and I love the term supply chain because yeah. it fits so well with an end to end, process in all these links in between right and in yeah. what we're talking about here is how you focus on those links and you get the ends closer to each other by using technologies efficiencies mm -hmm. that that allow these things to happen and when you go to defi defi defi, DeFi whatever you want to call yeah. that type of technology you're creating an efficiency for understanding contracts and moving money around and getting lending because for today's conversation you, i got a feeling you and i could probably go off on some serious tangents with this oh stuff. yeah <laughs> but for for today's conversation as far as getting cash flow right with companies of different sizes the effect of this kind of stuff to me means there's going to be new or better run financial instruments available for entrepreneurs absolutely i believe so i believe so i mean i, I think it's going to open up a lot of doors um especially with transparency um it'll give more trust for the lenders and more comfort for the borrower right yeah absolutely i think that and that's that's really the number one thing that i think that we want to get from today yeah and uh, it, you know it i i think that maybe the future of lending is changing. You know, oh, you're, yeah. you're, you're, my understanding of your business model, and maybe it's changed over time, maybe you can define a little bit more in terms of Westmark and what you do is, but, uh, you know, there's, there's both direct financing and kind of brokered or indirect financing mm -hmm. that you can accommodate for people. Yeah. But where do you see both your own company morphing, not specific to blockchain or anything, but where do you see the, the industries? heading in terms of getting financing is it going to a more immediate quick turnaround micro lens or 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 is it i i kind of view it as diverging it's either going for that long-term substantial dollar with huge assets behind it or it's going to these quick moves these quick smaller moves but i don't what do you think you know i think with technology being what it is and evolving as fast as it, it is going, I think it will make things quicker, at least on the private end. Uh, when it comes to government type uh, loans, SBA, stuff like that, there might be some speed in terms of appraisal services, environmental services. Environmentals have, have gone, if you get an environmental study report, if you're doing a commercial loan on a building, that has gotten a lot better with technology. Uh, phase ones, phase twos get done a lot quicker and they are a little bit cheaper. So that started to speed some things up when those things took a month. Now they're, they take days. Um, appraisals now appraisals now are doing, done a lot electronically. They're able to get a lot of the data electronically. That's moving faster. But I think when private, with private financing, I think it's going to get more micro smaller mm -hmm. faster um with the government you have so many different government loans uh with commercial real estate uh you've got your agriculture side um those will still tell you've got your government bureaucracy which is not going to change a whole lot mm -hmm. on your institutional side of financing 
course, that stays fairly big. You know, you got your life companies, your big banks. Big banks, too, are going to keep on eating up. And this is really what kind of bothers me is the big banks gobbling up all the small regional and local banks taking uh, our main street, our neighborhood banking system, which has been notoriously the backbone of the economy, of a local economy, it's being overtaken by these big national banks, Bank of America, Chase, you know, all Wells Fargo. And I'm not saying anything bad about them. I'm just saying that for us small businesses, it used to be that handshake. And Mm -hmm. that's what's changed a lot is taking the small regional bank or the local bank on your corner that you go play golf with, that you might go play golf with the vice president or the president and can make that handshake deal. The reason that's not happening is acquisitions. The large banks are acquiring those smaller banks and taking competition away. And all those big banks have the same guidelines throughout the nation. They don't care. You know, uh, they just want to see that there's a population the size of, you know, over 150,000, 200,000. There's a there's a narrower lane that they're giving people to fit into. Absolutely. And the flexibility goes away. But at the same time, that kind of opens the door to what you were talking about before with new technologies comes Mm -hmm. new. You know, people aren't people are always looking for new ways to both uh, lend and get loans. Right. So Mm -hmm. the people that are looking to lend are going to figure out ways with these new technologies to become miniature banks, if you will, in in their own aspect. Yeah, that's that's exciting to me. It is. It is. And, you know, you'd mentioned before on on some of these micro loans. Well, right now in some of the smart contract space, they are doing this. So basically Mm -hmm. there's a loan request that goes out on smart, smart chains or Mm -hmm. very, very smart contracts go out. People will invest in those those contracts on a micro level. And it's it's basically funding group funding crowdfunding right. it's it's very right. that is moving into the commercial market right now as well yeah so, it's, it's it's and those things have to be is is you can see that coming like this this group of of micro lenders that are occurring mm-hmm. in different places especially in other parts of the world not, yeah. so, not as much absolutely here. but the question becomes how do you corral that right and yeah. how do you focus that in on you know, the business elements that need mm-hmm. to be supported. But I think it's coming. And I think oh, it is. And I think people in companies like yours that are focusing their attention on this stuff are going to be the ones that are ahead of the game. Now, I think the institutional lending also, I think one of the, the things that people always have to be reminded of, especially uh, small entrepreneurs, is because there's a, a, a very large focus on minority owned and diversity mm-hmm. and things like that within yeah. businesses. And the lenders want to see that as part of your portfolio. Yeah. They, they, whether we want to talk about it or not, there is a uh, a tick mark in mm-hmm. your column to get a loan if you are female owned or minority owned, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And um, we could have a debate on rights and wrongs and all that kind of stuff. That's an aside. The fact is, is as a business owner, you should pay attention to those things because it can give you an advantage to move your business forward or to keep yeah. your cash flow going to mm-hmm. do so. Yeah, and that that pertains mainly to government type loans and bigger banks that that have more government regulation. Us private lenders, we don't have uh, government regulation because we're we raise money privately or we take out bank lines of credit ourselves. Personally, guarantee those loans that go out. So they, we don't have check marks on on MWABs or minority women-owned businesses, as they say, um, or we don't care what color you are. We don't care if you're male or female. Uh, mm-hmm. But generally, the larger institutions and uh, federally regulated institutions do have to follow somewhat of those sure. guidelines. Um, sure. You know, what, kind of the, the last thing I was thinking about, and and because we're, we're we're trying to keep most of these podcasts in kind of a shorter form, yeah. even though I, even though you've really piqued my interest with a lot of these items, the, the kind of the last topic I wanted to just see if you could, you know, briefly touch on is the, the idea of, of um, and when I say private lending, I mean, you know, locally sourced yourself, your relatives, those kind of things, or, you know, OPM, right. Other people's yeah. money, right. And, and that, that old concept, 
and how business owners kind of should view that from your point of view. I know what I think, but what do you think about that? The the the, the self-funded or similar self-funded versus going out there and getting other people's dollars involved? Well, you know, I mean, I have a mixed view on that. I mean, I do. Mark Cuban, you know, is someone we all know, Shark Tank guy. He is a big proponent of, hey, go out, scrap for it, save, borrow from friends and family if you have to. You don't need banks is what he says. And I, I agree. I mean, it's been done that way. If you have those resources, if you have friends and family or you're just I mean, it's hard to go door to door and knock on people's right. doors so to speak, and try to raise money. If you don't, there's people out there that just have no friends and family to borrow from. I I am that way. I, I didn't have that um, when we were coming out. Now, our home healthcare business, we were able to do that. We did pull some friends and family member money, but it was very, very small. Most of it was my wife's and my money. Uh, we right. took out from 401ks and all that. Sometimes you have to get creative and do those 401k loans to yourself. And I, I'm a believer in that, especially when you're first starting out. I mean, try with all your might, because if you go and do an SBA loan right off the bat, it handcuffs you um, in multiple ways. Uh, you aren't able to get factoring. You aren't able to do a lot of the other ABL type financing because the SBA completely wraps your loan up in into a UCC one where you're only able to get a merchant cash advance if you need a loan. And that's not a good position to be in. However, if you bootstrap and get your business up, borrowing from 401k, scrapping your savings money and friends and family, stuff like that, try to get that money from them. Try to do it without Mm -hmm. an SBA. Try to do it if you can. So when it comes time for to borrow money and you're two to three years old, You've kept your book, books right. You've got a good bookkeeper, a decent CPA, and a great tax advisor. Um, when it comes to time to getting a loan from a bank, you can go walk in the door and get a con- regular conventional right. loan, no sweat, and do what you need to do with a reasonable interest rate and uh, and really go and get a nice ABL line of credit that you aren't having a personal guarantee and have your business fund the whole thing. And that's yeah. where it really would like to be. Um, of course, it doesn't always work out that way, but ideally that's that's really. Well, it, it's interesting, Scott, because I, I think, I mean, the, the way I'm, you know, digesting what you say is at the front end of what you're trying to do as an entrepreneur, a business owner, moving your career along, all that kind of stuff. You need to dedicate your own resources to it to get at that momentum. So that when you need it to take to either, you know, get a large client on board that you don't have the cash flow for or get a bunch of assets that you couldn't afford through friends and family, et cetera. You've already taken that risk. You've developed to it to a certain point and now you're ready to do something without having to cut corners. And I think, you know, it it always comes down to balance, doesn't it? It it always comes down to figuring out a balance and focusing in on the important things. Yeah. And if there's any message that I'd like everybody to take away from this today is that you've got to keep your eye on the ball. And in this case, the ball is your cash flow. Cash flow. Is your finance. Exactly. It's the life of the free business. Well, uh, Scott, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on board with us today. Uh, I, I do have to ask you one question before we leave you for the day though what in the world is that behind you that is a bank vault um that is a bank vault from night from the 1930s uh this building had a a bank in it it was called the ridgely bank building and that bank tenant moved out years ago and i'm friends with the tenant manager here and he told me this would be the best office for me when I was looking for a new office and he put me in the vault. And so it's a good conversation piece when we have people in the office. Well, uh, and that's perfect. If you, if you want to, if you want to hire a guy to watch your finances properly for you and get you, you a loan, get a guy with a bank vault. In the back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to ask what's behind that bank vault. Cause I don't want to know. 
<laughs> but you know what, Scott? Thanks, thanks again so very, very much for for coming on board. And I I believe if I can get you again in a few months or something, I got a feeling we could take just one of the the many subjects we talked about and dive into it. It would be number one a lot of fun, but very informative because you going through the the MIT thing and having the background you do, it's uh, it, it's it's fantastic. But again, everyone, it. Scott Walton. Thank Appreciate you, Chris. Appreciate you. Take right. care. Take care. Yeah, I just wanted to thank uh, Scott one more time. A resounding thank you for coming on board and sharing with us some of his expertise today. It's it's real important subject and one that we're going to delve into in the future uh, much more. I am sure of that, 100% sure of that. Uh, as always, though, go to our, our YouTube channel, J-O-Z. B-Y-T-E-S, Jaws Bites, and see our latest out there, whether it's an interview like this, communication like this, or whether it's just uh, one of my um, mini bites, if you will, talking about a particular subject, hopefully related to what you're interested in, because that's the whole goal, to continue to find content that you're interested in and bring transportation logistics supply chain more into the mainstream more into the, the common understanding of, of people out there today uh, in the importance in which it plays in the roles in our lives. Go to, as always, www.ilevelogistics.com, ilevelogistics.com, and see us there. Take a look at our videos. Go to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any other podcast platform that you want. We are probably on it. Give us a five-star review. Ask for more content, comment, join, subscribe, all that sort of thing. Be part of the growing community. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time on Jaws Bites.